Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to GTO Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion for ourselves. I'm Kirsten Johansson, your host. Um, it's great to be back with you today. I'm going to do a solo show. I've had a couple of guests um, the last two weeks. If you didn't get a chance um, to listen to those, I spoke with Alana Stewart last week, and we talked about her relationship with Farrah Fawcett and Farrah's journey with anal cancer, which uh, informed my journey with anal cancer and ultimately my survival. Um, and so it was just a true delight and honor to get to speak to Alana, who is the CEO of the Farrah Fawcett Foundation and has been carrying on Farrah's legacy since she passed in 2009. And uh, the show prior to that, I had Lindsay McCowan on who hosts Women Thriving Unapologetically here on the Voice America Network. And I'm going to be on her show next week on the 9th. And we're going to talk about food and bodies, which we're also going to talk about a little bit today, but we're going to do a deep dive into it um, next week. Um, also next week, I have Meadow DeVore coming on. Meadow wrote um, The Worthy Project and then most recently The Worthy Mind. And I came upon The Worthy Project when I was in the midst of all of my work and my, my self-love work. And it was so, so helpful, so helpful just wonderful, uh, practical, uh, concrete uh, suggestions and ideas and stories and examples. And so um, I'm delighted that she's coming on the show and that I'm going to get a chance to talk with her about uh, both The Worthy Project as well as The Worthy Mind, which came out on Audible um, in November. And I also really, really enjoyed that. Um, I do want to also welcome a few new countries. I noticed on our every Monday we get our, our report and I can see who's listening and I want to welcome Italy and Vietnam and Sweden uh, to Freedom for Humans. And I also just want to say, hey, Japan, um, thank you for listening. I see you and um, I see you're pretty consistent uh, with Freedom for Humans and I just really, really appreciate it. If you like the show um, and you'd like to just support the show, you can do any number of things. You can tell your friends about it. You can share it online. You can subscribe. Um, you can do that in Voice America, but you can also do it where you get your podcast. So we air live at this time. And then after we've aired, the episodes are available on demand and also across all the other platforms that you're used to listening to your podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify. Um, so, you know, listen there and, um, rate and share and all of that really helps us to build the show. Um, so let's see, um, I want to look at my little, look at my little list here and make sure that I, I like to cover all of my little, uh, announcements and housekeeping stuff at the beginning, because I realize that as I get into the show and I get toward the end, I get, uh, pretty, I delve kind of into what we're talking about. And then I, forget to do all the little, um, all the little informational stuff. So, you know, what I actually wanted to do before we start our topic is I wanted to talk a little bit about coaching. Um, you know, there are, uh, there are lots and lots of coaches and lots of different kinds of coaches and lots of different kinds of approaches and 
pricing and coaching packages. And I think that, you know, I, one of the things that I notice is that many, many people are looking for a coach. Um, and I interact with them and, and exchange information, et cetera. Um, but I don't always find that people start. And so I think there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, and one of them can be that, you know, you're kind of afraid of, you know, if I do this, this free session, we we almost all offer a free session. So the idea of the free session, and I'm just going to tell you what, what it is with me, because I can't really speak for all the other coaches, but um, the free session with me is really about getting to know you and you getting to know a little bit about me and us seeing if we might be a fit to work together. But it's also about addressing what might be going on in that first session, because whether it's the first session or the 20th session, I always want you to leave with something, you know, having learned something or realized something and also with something to actually do. So we don't just talk in coaching. We do, we do talk, of course. Um, but by the time we get to the end of the session, I have formulated a variety of exercises and things to do that are customized to the person that I'm working with so that they can move forward with their goals. So, you know, I might be working with somebody on self-acceptance and so they might leave a session with um, assignments basically um, to move them forward with that. I also might be working with them on starting a new business um, or, um, you know, working on their leadership or those kinds of things. And they're going to leave with um, exercises and, and strategies and suggestions to move that forward as well. And the thing that, um, you know, I, I find pretty much across the board is that it's pretty difficult to change something significant in your life, like a job or, you know, something that's going on with um, maybe a behavior pattern that's bothering you without really getting to the root the root of what is causing it and also the root of you. So in some ways, coaching with me is about getting to know yourself and who you are and what you want and what could potentially make you happy and freeing yourself from self-hate if self-hate is active in your life and beginning to accept yourself and unlock the massive potential and opportunities that are available to you when you're no longer um, really at the mercy of the inner critic and the voice of doubt, which is really um, connected to self-hate. So we do all that in coaching. And in terms of, you know, pricing and structure and programs and, and a pitch and a sell, which I know um, just from my experience thus far that people are kind of cringe about that. I, I don't really, I don't really have that. Um, particularly I have an hourly rate and, um, I typically sell a, a block of hours of coaching that we can use in a variety of ways. I offer one hour sessions and half hour sessions. And, you know, my interest is in meeting you where you are and, um, you know, guiding you forward towards your goals. And so we can do that in any number of ways. And then, uh, with each block of sessions that people buy, I, I throw in an accountability session that's on me because, um, you know, I want to, after we've, you know, worked through around six hours of coaching, however, that, uh, works with the client that I'm working with, I then want to show up and 
find out how it's going. I have a few questions that I ask to inform what we do next so that I can make adjustments um, in what we're doing so that I can get direct feedback. And, you know, one of the things that's present in coaching for me is 100% honesty. That is one of my superpowers. So it's 100% honesty. And it is also unconditional positive regard for you, which makes it pretty easy to be honest because I'm, I always have your best interests in mind. And I always regard you positively, no matter what. And I always tell you the truth. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what it is. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. So if you're interested in coaching, um, you can find me at giraffetangooctopus.com and you can send me a message. You can actually book directly if you'd like to, or I can book for you. You can also find me across social media at GTO coaching. And again, you can message me there and, you know, don't be afraid of the free session. I'm just going to say it doesn't matter if you're not ready to move forward or you decide it's not for you at this time. You know, I always really enjoy meeting you and learning about you and hopefully offering you a tool and, you know, maybe we'll connect again in the future if, if we don't continue a coaching relationship now. So I just encourage you to, you know, reach out and make a start if it's something that you are thinking about doing. Okay. So for today's topic, um, before I had that, those last couple of guests, we did a show about the practical applications for self-love and we worked through four different steps. I'm just going to, I'm not going to get into them. Um, we talked about them in detail on that show. I'm just going to list them so that um, it's kind of clear where we're picking up. Uh, we talked about identifying your freedom project. Um, then we talked about identifying the guiding principle for your freedom project, because we do need um, something that anchors us, a true north. And I, I suggested that it's um, that you accept yourself um, unconditionally exactly as you are, um, but it needs to resonate with you. So you want to identify your guiding principle. We then talked about the idealized image versus the real self and the importance of knowing the difference, because if we're serving the idealized image, it's really kind of siphoning away uh, our resources and our energies. And while we can end up looking pretty good, we end up not feeling very good. And then it's pretty confusing because we're putting all this effort in and things look pretty good, but somehow we just don't feel like we thought we were going to feel inside. And that could be because we're serving the idealized image um, and not actually our real self. And then lastly, on that show, we talked about our relationship with our body and the reason that that's relatively early in the steps is because, you know, we, we live with our bodies every single day. Our bodies help us to move through the world and communicate with other humans and, and connect with people physically and emotionally. And, you know, um, some of us, you know, have the, uh, have an able body, uh, so to speak, and it allows us to travel and, and do all sorts of things. So, our relationship with it is incredibly important. And for many, many humans uh, early in life, we begin to kind of reject our bodies and begin a struggle or a conflict with them because we think they're supposed to be different than what they are. And that can be uh, harmful and sort of plague us in a way. So we talked about that before. And so step five in the practical applications for self-love is about, um, is about food. So we talk about bodies first, 
Um, because having a supportive and friendly relationship with your body is going to make addressing food a lot more natural. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy because food is not easy. If food uh, is challenging for you, it's challenging for you. And so making a change to it, um, it does take practice and, and focus, and it's not going to be a straight line. You know, you're, it's probably going to be a one step up and two steps back and three steps up. And eventually though, eventually with enough practice, you will change your relationship with food and potentially, um, sort of stop the suffering that comes from it. So, um, so, okay. So first, so we've, let's say we've developed a friendly and supportive relationship, um, that's accepting and neutral with our body or, or we're practicing. Okay. So, um, here's, here's the top line of this. You don't have a weight problem. The size of your body is an effect. It is not a cause. It's a symptom, not a source. So of course, too little and too much in terms of size and weight can result in other physical issues. But again, those issues are not cause. They are effect. And so this idea that your weight is a problem or the size of your body is a problem is, um, it's a distraction. And, you know, we spend many of us a tremendous amount of our lives trying to figure out how to control our food, um, basically so that we can control our bodies. And the reason that we spend a great deal of time trying is because it's really not a weight problem. And in many ways, it is not a food problem. So I have been working with my food and my relationship with my body since I was about 10 years old. I developed disordered eating at about 10. And um, the last probably two years have been the healthiest and most balanced that I've been in terms of my relationship with food. So I'm 52. So, um, if you do the math on that, it's, um, it's a 25 year, I think if I did that, if I did that math correctly, um, it's a 25 year problem. I'll have, to, I'll have to make sure I did that right. Um, so, um, what I learned is I thought when I got into food recovery, when I was about 35, I thought, oh, Okay, so it's really not a weight problem, it's a food problem. It's not actually a food problem except in a few circumstances. So in certain circumstances, we do need to directly address food. Specifically, if there are foods coming into your body that are not for you, they may need to be eliminated and it may not be possible to moderate them. And I know that's not the party line, but you know, here's the truth as, as I know it. And, and as I have experienced it during all of those years, um, of struggle with food. Um, and that is that you may simply need to abstain from certain things because once they enter your body, they activate craving. So you're not going to hear me talk about cheat days. Um, nor will you ever hear me say that you should be able to successfully eat all the, all foods in moderation. That is not my experience. Um, cheat days are, they are kind of confusing to me really, because if your food is working for you, if your food is for you and your food plan, whatever that is, is really working for you, 
you don't need a cheat day. Um, because once you introduce a cheat day, first of all, I'm not sure who you're cheating. I kind of feel like you're cheating yourself. Um, but also once you introduce that cheat day, it very likely introduces foods that activate craving. And what I have learned about that is that self-love is not an antidote to the chemical reaction of craving in the body. Craving will nearly always win. And when it doesn't, you're left to fight with it. So if you're, you know, if you're kind of maintaining a certain food plan and then you have a cheat day or you make an exception, you know, for an event or something like that, you may actually put yourself back into a cycle of craving, which then leaves you looking forward to the next cheat day. Like, okay, all I have to do is make it through this week and then I can get to the cheat day so I can have those foods that are now calling to you because um, they have activated craving. It is, it's not your willpower. It's not a moral issue. It has nothing to do with your character. It is physiological craving. All right, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about food um, and what is underneath the food that could be the source um, of the challenges that you're having. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten Johansson, your host. And before the break, we were talking about food. 
and um, I'm going to tell you what I actually eat. So I'm going to get specific now um, because I have um, such a long history with food and I've um, finally mostly found some balance, but I'm also um, going through something right now with my food that I, that I want to talk with you about. It's important for me to always be completely honest on this show and to share things about my own life. That's how I connect with you. And that's really what sort of fuels um, everything I do, my, my writing and my coaching and everything else. So um, here's what I do with my food. Um, I don't, I don't drink alcohol. I, I do have alcoholism. And um, because of that, I also don't eat grain or sugar. So alcohol is mostly made from grain and sugar. And I was somebody who, when I picked up a drink with you know, 12 ish or whenever it was, I mean, I was off to the races and, uh, I progressed very quickly, um, with my alcoholism. And by the time I went to treatment, when I was 16, they saw some signs of later stage alcoholism in a, in a very young person. And so my body doesn't, my body doesn't like those things. Um, and so I don't, I don't put them in. Um, I don't eat processed soy cause it bothers my stomach. I do like tofu once in a while, but, um, processed soy, I, I now avoid, I also avoid white potatoes and starchy beans and corn and, and a few other things that are kind of in that realm. But aside from that, I eat all the proteins, all the other vegetables, all the fruits and all the fats. Um, and it kind of catches me up a little short sometimes when I'm speaking to somebody about my food and I mention no grain or sugar and they say, oh man, that's very restrictive. And I think, gosh, there's so many foods to eat that don't have anything to do with grain or sugar. Um, now you might be thinking, right. And that's probably pretty expensive. It can be rather expensive. You don't have to always buy fresh though. You can buy frozen, um, you know, frozen proteins, frozen vegetables, frozen fruits, uh, do be careful with canned canned can have a variety of ingredients in it, including sugar, um, and, and extra salt that might not be um, right for you. Um, so if you do pick up something that's canned, do read the ingredients. And if it's 100% of something like 100% pureed pumpkin, for instance, um, ate a lot of that, you know, that's that's fine. I found that to be fine. It, it is somewhat processed, right? Because it's, it's had to be um, pureed in a factory of some sort. But, uh, you know, roasting a pumpkin and pureeing it was uh, a bridge too far for me. So um, I did buy that in a can. So I do eat very little that's packaged. And if I do, I read the label really carefully. And if sugar is in the first four ingredients, I take a pass on it. Um, sugar, uh, you know, sugar comes in many forms. Sometimes it's lactose or dextrose or cane sugar or rice sugar or brown sugar or all sorts of things. So um, it's not always called sugar. So if that's something that is bothering you and you might like to avoid you can, you can do a, a lookup and find out all the ways in which sugar is kind of hidden in our foods. And it's put in there um, for taste, but also it's put in there to make you want that food again, uh, because sugar does do something to the body and to the brain um, that makes you want to keep eating it. Um, so I, I generally ask myself a couple of questions around my food. Um, the first question is, am I hungry? And um, if the answer is no, then I move along to something else. Um, because if I'm thinking about food and then I ask myself if I'm, if I'm hungry and I'm clearly not, it is probably an indication that um, you know I'm getting pulled toward it uh, for some other reason. And the other question that I ask myself is, is this the right nutrition for my body right now? I generally only eat nutritious foods. So um, thankfully, I'm at a place where I'm not 
I'm not trying to kind of make a decision between something that is nutritious and something that is not nutritious. Um, but I do need to make decisions about what my body might need. And there's a Finnish, a Finnish proverb that I love, and that's happiness is a place between too little and too much. So, you know, if I've eaten quite a bit of fruit that day, even though maybe fruit might sound good because it's, you know, sweet and delicious, there's probably enough fruit that day. So I think about protein and veg and fat, and then I just make a choice based on that. The only non-food that I eat, I just call it non-food stuff that's processed or packaged or has chemicals in it. I have a couple of small cups of coffee in the morning and I do like a little sweetener in my coffee. So I, I use about a packet of sweet and low, uh, which is saccharin. And that is, um, you know, I have Crohn's and um, of all the sweeteners, it's the one that's recommended. It's uh, supposedly is sort of a pass through and doesn't stick to your cells, but I have enough uh, experience with artificial sweetener to say that when you pack it in, it does stick to your cells. It, it will make you feel pretty awful over time. So um, aside from your physical um, reactions to food and potentially needing a bit of a, you know, a food tutorial or somebody to help you parse out what you're eating and what might be causing you craving, it's typically not a food problem. It's a suffering problem. And the food is anesthesia. So I want to talk just a little bit about the way you talk to yourself about food. Um, so when you talk to yourself about food, if you are recriminating, self-recriminating, um, and you are hard on yourself about it, it's going to, it's, it's sort of poisonous to you. And so I know that that can seem that can seem a little bit confusing because when you're trying to change something because it's causing you uh, some suffering, you might think, well, I have to push myself and I need to make rules and um, you know, I need to really be militant and hard on myself. And you know, if that worked, I think that most of us would have fewer issues with food. Um, so it really is about being kind and gentle and compassionate to yourself. And one of the examples that came to mind when I was thinking about this earlier today, so I spent almost 17 years in a 12-step uh, recovery program for people with food issues, disordered eating. And in that program, you know, it's, it's um, most of the anonymouses or all of the anonymouses really are extrapolated from the original anonymous alcoholics anonymous. So in terms of structure and format, they're all quite similar. And so in the program that I was in, we, we shared, of course, so we, we attended meetings and shared with each other. And we also had people do what we called qualifying, which was to tell their story, um, their history with food, how they got into recovery and how things are for them now in terms of, you know, how are things different for me now that I'm in recovery? And one of the things that is so consistent is that when people shared their stories, including me, everybody remembers the comments that were made to them about their body um, related to its size and its weight. Um, I mean, pretty much a comment that might seem, you know, just like nothing 
it really, really sticks. So if, if, if everybody is sort of carrying those wounds from what other people say to them about their weight and their bodies and their size, then what is happening when we have a voice inside of us that is really driven by self-hate that is also saying those things to us about our food? It's not going to help us address our food. It's not loving and it's not getting to the source of the issue. Um, and so I was recently uh, practicing Turkish. I'm learning Turkish and I, I practice every day. And as I'm progressing in um, the learning and I'm, you know, forming new sentences and phrases, there was a, a new phrase and I looked down at the translation and the translation from Turkish to English was eating and drinking in order to forget. And, you know, I had a little chuckle to myself because this issue, this issue with food, um, it spans all cultures, all ages, all genders. Um, it is a human, it is a human issue and it is an issue of suffering. So, um, if you're struggling with your food, I'm going to suggest that you think about starting your freedom project with it and following the steps that I'm outlining before you try to actually change your food. Because if you change your food before you start to, to get to the bottom of what is driving the food behavior, you're going to be doing a lot of behavior modification and management, and it's going to feel pretty difficult um, and feel like a bit of a strain. Um, and that's just coming from somebody who tried, I don't even know how many things to control my food um, so that I could then control my body. Now, when I welcomed self-love into my life and I fired self-hate, what naturally happened is those urges that I had around food and the, the really critical um, voice that I had about my body, they all started to dissipate. I didn't expect that to happen. I didn't plan for that. It wasn't why I was working on self-love. I was working on self-love because I found myself in just the most miserable and um, painful place that I had ever been. And so one of the uh, artifacts ultimately of that work is that um, I have a much uh, healthier and more balanced relationship with food. Now, I do want to um, just say a word about food and trauma. And what uh, is showing up for me right now. So I, um, when I was in the US, you know, I live with my mom when I'm there and we ate together um, pretty regularly. And, you know, we both have, sometimes we were excited to eat together and excited to cook or go out. And other times, you know, we ate but because we had to, we ate because we needed to, and we just sort of made ourselves do it. But I had somebody to eat with. And when I got here to Malta, Erdogan, uh, my partner works in hospitality and he manages a restaurant and he's opening a new restaurant right now. So anybody who's ever worked in hospitality knows you work long hours, um, particularly when you're a manager. And so I was alone quite a bit and I found myself having difficulty eating. And it took me until, you know, probably about a week ago uh, to just sort of figure out where that was coming from. And I spent two years of the pandemic alone, physically alone. 
um, without any warm human contact, without sharing a meal. I mean, a handful of times I traveled uh, to see my family. And in those cases, I shared a meal and I shared food with them. And it was like, oh God, it was like breathing in a way. And so I realized when I got here to Malta and I started to spend quite a bit of time alone and my appetite disappeared and I would start to eat and then, you know, get a few bites in and just not really feel like finishing that it was a trauma response um, to all of those months, those years alone, um, eating alone and ultimately just losing any real desire uh, for food. So I'm, um, you know, making some adjustments and now I understand what's happening. And my partner is really supportive. He could see um, that um, I had shrunk and, you know, he addressed it with me in a way that was not in any way hurtful. He just noticed it. And I said, yes, I know. And he says, Ashkim, you must eat, you must eat. And um, that does not bother me at all. In fact, that feels loving and supportive. And I really actually need it. Like I need a partner sometimes with my food, um, even in this place that I'm in now, which is relatively healthy and balanced. Um, I still need other people and help um, and a partner. Okay, so that's food. I'm gonna move on to your SOS and that is your source of suffering. So um, you will need to begin to listen to yourself in the moments where you feel the powerful tension, that, that powerful feeling to do something, do something to make whatever that sort of tense feeling is go away. Um, when that happens, step to the side, um, as Dr. Maisel says, have a conversation with yourself and coach yourself because that is the time when you're going to have access potentially to your SOS. Now, it's probably buried. Most of us, our SOS is buried deep down. And so you're going to need to ask yourself a few questions. And they can be relatively simple. Um, you can ask, what, are, what thoughts am I having right now? What are my thoughts? What am I feeling? What are the emotions that I'm experiencing right now? And what do I believe about myself that might be false and also an SOS, a source of suffering. So this information, again, it might not be readily available to you at first, and that's okay. Just pausing to ask yourself is a compassionate choice. Now, you might still choose to eat. Um, maybe it's the ice cream or whatever your kryptonite is. I think we all, we all have a, a kryptonite. Mine is warm chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> that's my kryptonite. Uh, I, I don't eat those. Um, I generally just sort of stay away from them. Um, <laughs> a long time ago, I'll be, I have to be quick here, uh, for a break a long time ago, I was really early in my food recovery. And this little girl that had lived next door to me, we kind of had struck up a relationship and I heard a knock on my door and I was feeling kind of down that day. And I came downstairs to find that she had left warm chocolate chip cookies wrapped in a, in a paper towel. And I was in my food pr program. And so that was three weighed and measured meals with no sugar and no grains. Um, yeah, I did not eat them, <laughs> but mm, boy, did I, did I have a lengthy conversation with myself about what to do with them? And I, 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 you know, cause 
it wasn't just the cookies. It was the gesture uh, that I wanted to kind of enjoy the, the loving gesture. So, you know, it's not always just about, about the food. It can be about what the food means. Um, now let's say, let's say you go ahead and eat. Um, that that's okay. So let's use some compassionate honesty with that. And what compassionate honesty sounds like. So as a reminder, if you haven't listened um, to the show before, compassionate honesty just reports something like a journalist. And so you would say something like, I felt anxious. I chose to eat past the point of fullness. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with me. And so that in and of itself is going to, to show you some compassion and some acceptance not because you didn't eat the ice cream, but just because that is really the key that underlies this entire thing that no matter, no matter what, no matter what you choose, no matter what you don't choose, you, you are okay. And there is nothing wrong with you. That practice can be very, very helpful. It doesn't have to be quote, successful in order to move you forward um, with your process. So eventually the fog will clear and the SOS beacon will be clear to you. It might even be elegant in its simplicity and its utter destructiveness. It may sound something like a child might say, because it probably is, because the seed of its development may be rooted in your childhood or in some other traumatic experience that has happened along the way like the one that I just described with the pandemic. So we're going to take another break. And we, when we come back, we will finish talking about the SOS. Um, and then we will move on to um, anesthesia behaviors. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? 
Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten Johansson, your host. And before the break, we were talking about your SOS, your source of suffering. Um, And what I was talking about was, so let's say you go ahead and eat the ice cream. um, And I'm, I'm suggesting that that's okay. And that you be kind to yourself regardless. And here's why. If you are hard on yourself, if self-hate worms its way in, and starts to be mean to you um, and hard on you and to beat you up uh, for what you've eaten, what do you think the chances are that you're going to be able to make a different choice later on or the next day? You're going to feel worse. You're going to feel worse. That is not the goal here. The goal is to simply notice the behavior and begin to understand it and understand where it comes from but to continually support yourself and accept yourself as you are. This is temporary. When you begin to work on this, it will change. So, um, but it is, it is a practice. It's, it's not something that we can flip a switch on. It's very much a, an ongoing practice. So um, in terms of the source of suffering um, for me, I simply just believed I wasn't acceptable without doing 1 million and 22 things to be good enough. And self-hate said, here, roll this not good enough boulder up the mountain over and over. Never mind that it sometimes gets away from you and flattens you like a pancake. Just keep trying and do it over and over. And you must, if you stop, what will become of you? You'll be nothing. You'll fall out of favor. You will not be accepted or included or loved or seen. But here's the thing. While I was busy rolling the boulder, all my energy was diverted away from my true self. The boulder became the point. The boulder was my idealized image, ultimately, not me. And I barely roll a pebble (laughs) anymore, much less a boulder these days. I I have no energy for it. I I know that it is a, um, that it's a distraction and that it just takes my, my power and my energy and my resources, and um, it kind of poisons me. So, um, so your source of suffering is once you once you become aware of it and you know what it is, you can really begin to show yourself um, some some true compassion. All right. So now that we have addressed and are on the lookout for your SOS, what anesthesia behaviors are in your life? So we talked about food because that is a common thread for most humans, and it's something that we cannot abstain from. Um, There are a lot of other ones. They distract and mute and soothe your suffering. They come to the side of the boat and they reassure you that you're not going to drown, but they never actually throw you the life preserver. They encourage you to continue to wait and hope that things will get better. Um, Waiting and hoping, in my experience, not only doesn't work, but it's very disempowering. Waiting and hoping, it kind of, um, it suggests that the power or the solution or um, or the, the practice is going to come from somewhere else. And I mean, I, I have done so much in my life to try to clean this stuff up. And much what I 
have, of what I did prior to starting this particular journey was behavior modification and behavior management. And I cleaned a lot of things up that way, um, but they continued to require management versus truly appreciating and loving and having compassion for myself, which makes all of those decisions natural um, and not something that I really need to manage because I'm always kind of thinking about what is right for me and what is best for me and what is the most supportive um, for me. So you don't need to eliminate every anesthesia behavior that you identify. It's, it's not possible. And some are necessary um, and are neutral or life enhancing. It's the damaging life detractors that we want to expose, the ones that cause additional suffering, the ones that cause self-recrimination. So um, I do a deep dive on this um, on one of the shows, and it's called Anesthesia Behaviors. And I do a deep dive on those as well as the SOS. So if you want more information about that, um, there's a whole show. I cover a variety of different categories of anesthesia behaviors, and I'm just going to give you a quick uh, list of them here. There are the classics, um, which are alcohol, drugs, food, and sex. Um, there are the snipers. So the snipers are, for me, the exception in terms of something that you might want to try to moderate or um, try to figure out, you know, what about this is life enhancing or at least neutral. Snipers are about physical harm to self and physical harm to others. So actual self-harm or, you know, picking at your skin until you create a wound or pulling your hair out, um, cutting yourself, burning yourself. Um, in, in my history, there was a lot of picking of the skin. Oh my goodness. Um, into what I called flesh eating craters. And, you know, that is, <laughs> that is in no way compassionate or supportive. That was absolutely an anesthesia behavior that then created intense suffering while I tried to manage the wound that was typically, um, and you know, a big open wound on my face. And so these are the things that I'm talking about when I talk about the, um, snipers, the other thing for me, that was a sniper was, uh, cosmetic procedures. And I of course did not realize that at the time, um, while I was doing them, but in, uh, you know, in search of, um, and in service to my idealized image, I had a major surgery, major cosmetic surgery in 06, I believe it was. Um, I had a brow lift and rhinoplasty and a chin implant. I mean, I, I pretty well changed the structure of my face. Um, and in order to lift the brow, um, you know, I have a, a incision from like one ear to the other in the middle of my scalp. I mean, it was, it was significant. And then a few years later, I started with injections and uh, lasers and ultrasonic therapy and chemical peels. And um, the, the list is long. The way that that was uh, a sniper for me was that there was always pain. There was always pain, not only pain in the office, but pain afterwards um, kind of wounds to manage and swelling to manage and bruises to manage. And so it wasn't just about trying to look a certain way, although it was absolutely partially about that. 
there was also something about it that was um, self-harming. I just was paying, <laughs> I just was paying thousands of dollars to have someone else do it to me. Um, and so I haven't, I haven't engaged in that in a couple of years. And um, the filler is almost, I think it's almost gone from, from my face. And it's, you know, it's a very different experience to not be thinking about all of the things that I need to do to make sure that there are no wrinkles and no sagging and no crow's feet and no forehead movement and that I have a plump young looking face so that I don't look whatever my age is and all this stuff. And, oh my goodness, it is, um, it feels amazing to be free from that. And listen, I, I don't judge. I spent a good 15 years in the culture of cosmetic procedures. And when you're in that culture, it seems completely normal, completely normal. You know, I talked about it like, like it was just a part of life. I encouraged other people to do it um, because I really didn't, I didn't understand uh, what I was doing to myself. So that's one of my snipers. I am going to cover that. I want to, I want to really do a whole show on that. And I have a, I have a dream guest. Uh, I have a dream guest that I, I want to invite on to talk with me about that. Um, so Justine Bateman, I don't think you're listening, but I'm going to reach out to you. Uh, Justine Bateman wrote a book called Face, and it has a bunch of essays from women of all different ages and uh, professions and stations in life. And they talk about their faces and how they feel about aging. Um, and they talk about cosmetic procedures and not doing cosmetic procedures and, you know, the difficulties of that and the social implications of that. And, you know, I just found it really uh, interesting and helpful. And she's, you know, she kind of is an activist, I feel like in that, in that way. So I'm not sure if I can get her on the show, but I'm going to try. Uh, one of the other types of uh, anesthesia behaviors, I call the impersonators. They seem productive and helpful, but they distract you uh, from healing or living your life purpose. They're, they're fillers. So for instance, um, organizing and cleaning, there's nothing wrong with organizing and cleaning unless it actually takes you away from your feelings, your emotions, um, doing something that's actually maybe uh, more important in your life. Um, it can be soothing. I, I absolutely was a cleaner and an organizer, um, but it, it, was a, it was definitely anesthesia for me because it, it kept me away from what was really going on inside of me. Um, so that's why they're impersonators. The, the fourth one is uh, I call image makers and that's about physical appearance and idealized image. And, um, it's kind of a crossover cosmetic procedures are in here. Um, obsession with clothing and accessories, anything that's really about image and that's pulling energy and resources away from your true self and the really like the bones of you, the unique, wonderful truth of you, um, is an image maker. And lastly, there are the crossovers, which most anesthesia behaviors are crossovers, meaning that they have redeeming value and that they can, in some cases, enhance um, your life um, or at least have a some zero impact. 
but they can easily shift to detractors and creators of suffering. So um, alcohol easily fits this bill. I think that, you know, we all have experiences with, um, you know, I, I have the alcoholism, so I don't drink um, and I don't, I don't really have very many uh, positive experiences with alcohol, but certainly many people do. Um, and they love a wine pairing with dinner or, you know, a, a glass of champagne to celebrate. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And that can be completely joyful. It is when it moves over into anesthesia that it can become problematic. So something else that popped into my mind that wouldn't necessarily maybe um, come to mind as an anesthesia behavior is something like reading. So reading is great. Like we learn from reading. Um, it's, it's wonderful. If you're going to it as a way to hide uh, from what's going on with you. So for instance, when we talked before about that, that pull, that tension that you might feel that makes you feel like, oh, I need to do something to get away from this. If you go toward reading and you don't take the pause and ask yourself those questions to try to figure out what's going on, then we've lost that opportunity a bit um, to try to figure out what, what might be RSOS. So um, if you would like to learn more um, about the anesthesia behaviors and about SOS, again, um, I do an entire show on that. And all of the things that I'm covering in the, this series, I'm going to do uh, another one of these because there are more steps, will be in my upcoming book. Um, and so if this if um, this is helpful to you, you can look forward to um, more detail and more information and more practices and strategies uh, when the book comes out. Thank you so much for listening today. Um, I love this making the show for you and I do make it for you. And I hope that you've heard something helpful to you. Um, I'm going to wish you uh, a wonderful week filled with love and acceptance and compassion for yourself. Um, so in closing, love yourself, free yourself, be yourself and dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.